Let's pray then as we continue in God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for today, for a chance to gather once again, partners in the gospel, to gather to hear you speak and to sit under your word. Father, we ask please this morning that you would show us from the Lord Jesus Christ what humility looks like, that you'd show us from our own lives where we need to grow. Father, motivate us by the love that you have shown that we might show love to one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just one thing, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I wonder if that describes you. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul has a very specific way of living in mind. Our minds might go to all sorts of different things that would make us worthy of the gospel. But he has one particular way of life in mind. He says, Philippians 1 verse 27, if you haven't got your Bible open, get back into it. We're going to work through that passage. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you, what you will hear is this. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Do you want to live a life worthy of the gospel? Then what you need is firstly unity with God's people, And secondly, a unity in a specific partnership. United in one spirit, united as one man, to do what? Stand firm, contending for the faith of the gospel without being frightened. Do you want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Then what you need to do is be united with your fellow believers. United with the same mindset, with the same desire, with the same attitude, partnering in gospel work. Now as a church, that's what we're on about. Being disciples who make disciples. We are in a partnership together, driving towards this one aim, this one goal of commending, of contending, of fighting for, of defending, of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our passage, as we come down to chapter 2 in particular, Paul spells out the key to this unity. There is one thing, one thing that is absolutely essential if we are going to be united as partners in the gospel. I wonder what you might think that that key is. What's the secret to unity? Is it that we all have to be on the same doctrinal page? Or that we all have to agree on the same denominational name? We're all Anglican. Or is it that we have to have some sort of organisational unity? We all have to... No, the key is humility. The key to us being united in gospel partnership is humility. And really, that's what we're going to spend the most of our time today. Now, I recognise that there isn't an outline in your handout. I'm going to get one up for you. Andrew, could you please click on the window so that I have control of it again? Thank you. Right, there's an outline of where we're going today. 
Uh, If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down briefly. The key to the unity in partnership with the gospel that Paul says will result in living a worthy life is humility. And I've got three main headings that we're going to work from. Motivation, then humility in thought and in action, and finally the example of Jesus Christ. And we begin with that which is going to motivate us to live humble lives, to pursue this unity. In the start of chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul spells out four conditions. If we meet these conditions, then, well, what follows, follows. Four ifs. And he says, chapter 2, verse 1, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, and on he goes. I want to just take a moment to explore each one of those four conditions on their own. The first two really, I think, are kind of encapsulating the first, the same idea. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ and any comfort from his love. It's picking up really on Old Testament language. This language of the comfort coming to God's people. Uh, We we see it quite clearly in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. This is the comfort, the encouragement that comes from God's salvation. It's the sweet balm Of knowing God's saving power. If, Paul says, you yourself have experienced this comfort, this encouragement from the love of God, from the union we have with Jesus, from the salvation that God has bought for you, then, if any fellowship with the Spirit, he says, If you have been united to Christ by the work of the Spirit, if you are, in other words, a partner with God, then if any tenderness and compassion. Now, I take it that that's God's tenderness and compassion, right? Not ours. It's not if you're a gentle and kind person, then you should do these things. It's if you have received into your life the tender mercy of the Lord God. If you have experienced yourself the salvation that God brings. In other words, those four ifs really are saying, if you are a Christian, then. The motivation is having experienced the comfort, the beauty, the wonder, the marvel, the kindness, the gentleness of our Lord God, who himself served us. Then we will want to live out lives of humility. See, why do Christians walk through life Feeling this humble sense that we owe service to people rather than them owing us. Why do we do that? Well, the answer is that Christ loved us and died for us and forgave us and accepted us and justified us and gave us eternal life. And all of that when he owed us nothing. He treated us as worthy of his service when we were not worthy of his service. 
He took thought not only for his own interests, but ours. He counted us, and we're talking about the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heavens and earth, the ruler of all that is. He counted us as greater than himself. Do you remember Jesus said to his disciples, who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? It's not the one who reclines, it's the one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves, Jesus said. And that's where Christian humility comes from. It's being overwhelmed by God's generosity. Christians are stunned into lowliness. Not loneliness, lowliness. Freely we have been served, and so we serve. Having experienced God's salvation then, we ought to be humble. Humble in thought and humble in action. Verse 3, Paul says, well, in fact, sorry, if we just finish off that if-then statements, if you have any encouragement, if any comfort, if any fellowship, if any tenderness, then, verse 2, Paul says... Make my joy complete again. How? By being united, by being one, by being like-minded, the same love, one in spirit and purpose. Again, it's not about having some sort of denominational unity. It's not about having some sort of organisational unity. It's about having the same mind, having the same desire and attitude and interests, being set up to live the same way. And how is that? That's where we get to the next point. Verse 3, humble in thought. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. How do you see other people? I just take a moment, think through some of the faces in your life. Your family, kids, spouse, parents, whatever it might be. Your friends, your colleagues, fellow students, your peers, the bus driver, the guy who makes you coffee on Wednesday mornings, the guy who makes you coffee on Tuesday mornings. Maybe it's the same guy, I don't know. How do you see them? Are they just an opportunity for you to get ahead? Somebody for you to get something out of them for your benefit? Do you see them as an inconvenience? Oh man, I've got to put time into this person again. Do you see them as somehow lower than you, below you, worse than you, not worthy of your time or your service? So often our mindset is a little bit like this one. Right? I don't know how to put this, but I'm... um, I'm a bit of a big deal, really. And we might not say it, right? None of us are crass enough to walk around going, ha ha, look at me, right? I'm... But, but we show it by how we live. When we treat other people as somehow inferior to us, as if we treat them, if we think of them in ways that are all about selfish ambition, we think of them as people to help for me to get ahead, or with vain conceit, I am big, they are small. No, instead, how we ought to see them in humility, in lowliness, is as better than us. 
Now, that doesn't mean better in skills. Right? It'd be silly to say somebody is better at a skill that they're clearly not better than you at. Right? If we play a game of ping pong, which I kind of rate myself at, but if we were to play a game of ping pong and I beat you 21-0, right, it would be foolish, it would be silly for me to say afterwards, well, no, clearly you are better than me at ping pong. No, that's not what he's talking about. Consider others more important, perhaps, is a word we could use than yourself. Consider others as worthy of your service. Imagine for a moment that the, uh, the Queen of England is coming to church here. Uh, don't know why she would, but um, maybe she confused us with the other Barneys or something. But whatever, anyway, she's coming to church here. Uh, she's going to arrive maybe three, four, five hours time. And we need someone to save a parking spot out the front for the Queen. It's a pretty boring job. We just need someone to go and stand on the road and make sure no one parks in that little spot right in front of the church. Of course you'd do it. We're serving the Queen. I mean, of course I'd do that. She's an important person. We've got to... Think of others in that way. Worthy of our service. And if we think this way then, if we've gotten over this attitude, then it will result in humility in action. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's very easy to look after your own interests. Most of us manage that automatically. No one has had to tell you, look out for yourself. We just do it. But it is hard to look out for the interests of others. It doesn't mean become interested in what they're interested in. It's not, well, okay, Joe's into board games, so we all have to be into board games, right? That's just, there's no other way around it. It's not, well, so-and-so's into golf, therefore I have to be into golf. No, look out for their best interests. What is good for them? What is it that they need? In what way can I serve them? And I'll tell you what, this is really hard to do. Because to start with, you have to know the other person. You've got to know what's in their best interests, let alone then doing it. See, what we need to do is learn to help. See, if I saw a panda like that, right, my interest would be to laugh at it. That's hilarious. Look at that panda. It's upside down. Instead of stopping and helping it, write it, put it right back up. I mean, it's baby panda, so it's probably just going to go upside down again. That's okay. We'll help it again. If we are humble in thought, we will end up being humble in action. And that is the key to unity. Absolutely essential. It's the sort of love, you remember Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples if, if you do what? You love one another. You sacrificially pour yourself out for each other. I'll give you a really, a really easy way to remember it. You want, to, you want to have joy in your life? Then what you need to do is put Jesus first, others second, you third. I mean, it's Sunday school, right? But now that you've heard it, you're never going to forget it. Joy, Jesus first, others second, you third. And you know what? It doesn't just bring joy to us when we live that way. It brings joy to God when we are humble. Because he is humble. In fact, as we turn to look at the example of Jesus as the chapter moves on, 
He is humble, as in he humbled himself because he is God. It's in the very nature of God to be humble. Look at it, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's not saying that he was God, but he thought, well, I won't. It's saying because he was God, he did not consider everything to be for himself, but for others. Humility comes from the very nature of God. That's why it's a virtue. Because it's part of God. He gave up all his advantage for us. Notice as well that Jesus voluntarily humbled himself. It's something he chose to do. It's in his nature and he chose to do it. Verse 7, he made, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he didn't just serve in a little way. He didn't... All right, okay, I guess I'll give you a lift on Saturday. Sure. No, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient even to death and death on a cross. There is the example that we follow. Now just stop and think for a moment about what that means for our humility. For our attitude and our thoughts of serving others and our actions of serving them. It's not just a little thing. It's not a moment of, oh, okay, all right, I guess I can do this little thing for you. It is our entire lives turned upside down. The greatest one who has ever been, the Lord God himself entered into humanity as a man, gave up everything to serve you. The most powerful one in existence. The one with the greatest knowledge, the greatest wealth, you would say. The most intelligent, the most important, the greatest. Gave it all to serve. You can see how that kind of humility produces unity in the partnership of the gospel. If every one of us were committed in that way to loving each other. Wow. And it produced, in the end, for the Lord Jesus, great glory. As God exalted him to the highest place. As God placed Jesus right back up into the greatness of God. That every knee will bow before him and confess that he is Lord. See, Christian humility, in the end, begins with being humble before God. It begins with acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is Saviour and that we really are nothing. Until you can stand before God and say to him, I cannot do it. I cannot of my own self find salvation and eternity. I, all I can do is accept what you are offering. Until it begins there, you will be unable to find true humility. Because if you're standing before God and you're saying to him, well, I don't need what you're offering. I don't need the Lord Jesus to save me. I don't need the salvation plan that you have put into place. Then that arrogance will never flow into humility. 
We don't just follow the example of Christ. Humility begins as we submit ourselves to him. So, if we as gospel partners are going to live lives worthy of the gospel, then we must stand firm, united, fearlessly contending for the faith as one person. A unity that will only come about through humility. Now I hope that as you leave today, you leave thinking of yourself as a partner. Not just as a church member. Because a member, you can just pay your dues. You just pay the membership fee, you get your little card and that's it. You can come and sit in church every week and partake of the activities that the church offers. Do what a member does. And in fact, if you don't come, it doesn't matter. You've already paid your membership fees. Come, don't come, who cares? Whereas partners... Partners are committed to the cause. Partners are invested in it. Partners, well, they care. They work. They are involved with one another. And if we are to be partners, then we must be united. There's lots of things that are going to stand in the way of this, though. And the main, the primary thing that will stand in the way of us being united for the gospel is selfishness. Is each one of us being concerned for our own interests and our own ambition? We can even, we can even use kind of good words to talk about it. Oh, no, no, I, I really need to do this for my own personal growth. Sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, no, no, I, I need to do this uh, for my fulfilment. I, I need to do this for the sake of me getting to use my gifts the way that I want to use my gifts. I need to do this for the sake of my title or my ministries or my... And if that's the way that you think, you are a divisive person. Humility is where it begins. I want to serve you. I want to do this for your sake. I want to visit you because you need a visit. I want to write you a letter because you need encouragement. I want to just sit and listen because you look like somebody who needs to be listened to. I want to do what is good for you. And gee, that's inconvenient. Gee, that's hard. But it's what we must do. Serving where it's needed rather than where it's glorious. It's one of the things that we pray for in our church prayer. As we look to be disciples who make disciples, one of the things that we ask God is that he would teach us to be sacrificially loving. And the sacrifice is the sacrifice of self. I wonder you could, a couple of little questions for you to consider for this week. As you think about humility, you've got to start somewhere. Start small. Don't try and reinvent your whole life overnight. Who's one person that I need to forgive? That's a form of service. Who's one person that I need to ask forgiveness from? There's a type of love. Who's one person that I know is lonely, that I can just give them a phone call or maybe visit them? 
Who's one person that I know hasn't been at church? Three, four weeks now, maybe a couple of months. I'm going to see how they're going. Who's one person that, well, I know they put on a face that they're okay, but I'm pretty sure they're not, that I could just go and ask, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Who's one person that you could just go and wash the dishes for? But that's, that's what we're talking about, right? Knowing them, considering them as worthy of your service. I, I like the idea of the butler. I, there's something to that, right? But surely not, because butlers are, are menial. They do these just little jobs. I mean, I can't, you can't be talking about that sort of service, right? Why not? Love that seeks their good. Now, of course, in the end, the greatest love we can have for anybody is to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ transform their lives as well. And so is there one person this week that you've been meaning to have that gospel conversation with for so long, but you just haven't? That perhaps we need to get over our own pride, our own fear of failure, our own self... And recognise that it is by far the most loving thing we could ever do for them is introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Then allow the Lord Jesus Christ to transform you into lowly, humble, other person-centred, sacrificial humility. That will bring about church unity in our partnership for the gospel such that we will live worthy lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in very nature God, he gave up everything that was his to serve the unworthy. Humble us, Father, before the Lord Jesus that we would accept his service, that we would accept his sacrifice. And so, Father, teach us from that, in turn, to be humble with others. Remove from us, Father, the idol of ourselves. We love worshipping ourselves. Take it away from us. Remove from us our sense of self-importance and pride that stops us from serving others. And instead, Father, teach us to see them with your eyes, worthy of being served. Father, make us humble in thought and humble in action. That together, united as partners contending for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we might live worthily of your Son. Amen.